0: Well, a very, very warm welcome to all of you who are present today in this lovely room and to those of you who are part of this dialogue through simultaneous or other broadcasts. My name is Allison Bowden and I serve here at Princeton as Dean of Religious Life and of the chapel, the office that is hosting this visit. We are honored beyond all describing to be in the presence of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and to share in a conversation with him on the informal motto of the university, Princeton in the nation's service and in the service of all nations. This phrase, originally coined by Woodrow Wilson, is to be formative for all who study or work at Princeton and for thousands of alumni. Indeed, an ethic of service is central to innumerable people around the globe. Today, we will all receive teachings on this ethic from someone who has taken particular bodhisattva vows and who is deeply committed to universal human values. How does the particular Buddhist understanding of saving all beings translate into ideas of service, of compassionate action to all nations? What can a Buddhist perspective contribute to everyone's understanding of the role of pride, ego, prestige, or even anger in the helping of other people? Can spiritual development be an outcome of service to others? And how does service relate to developing the heart, to growing one's compassion, the subject of His Holiness's teaching this morning? Our 150 student participants today identify with a wide range of religious communities or with none. They are from just as wide a variety of backgrounds regarding life experience and compassionate action with communities. They have been for weeks already in formal discussion groups with one another, reflecting on such questions as, what counts as service, as compassionate action? Why engage in it? How does it change the servant? And what does one learn about others in the process? Our students will continue to engage in these conversations long after His Holiness's visit to Princeton has concluded. After we hear from our esteemed guest about the meaning of compassionate action, Three distinguished members of the Princeton faculty will each offer a brief response, concluding with a question for His Holiness. After he has engaged each question, we will open the floor to questions and reflections from our student audience. At that time, we ask you present to raise your hand if you have a question, and a microphone will be brought to you by Matt Weiner, Associate Dean of Religious Life, or Dave Brown, Director of the Student Volunteers Council. Our faculty panelists are Jill Dolan in the Departments of English and Theater and in the Program on Gender and Sexuality Studies, Mitch Denier in the Department of Sociology, and Eddie Glaude in the Department of Religion and the Center for African American Studies. Without further delay, let me invite now the teaching on compassionate action by His Holiness the fourteenth Dalai Lama. Oh. Mm.
1: I think firstly I think a beginningless uh rather. I think it came in. Civilization, I think, key factor to survive. But uh, I think the sort of sense of, I say, uh, concern, well-being of the remaining uh, community member, and also we are social animal. Uh, say, I, I think, unlike trees, hmm, uh, perhaps the temperature and climate, you see, may help in a certain area, certain group of tree grow, uh, grow. Uh, but then we have the emotion which you is bring together as a social animal. Even animal. I think they always angry each other and they cannot survive. So love each other. Uh, there's not much sort of ability to, uh, firstly, I think, no uh, language, no, but limited of their voice. Also, you see. Uh, Creates some kind of sense of sort of community. Yeah. So all, I think, we uh, uh, Buddhists call sentient beings who have the experience of pleasure and suffering and also cognitive power. So their, their uh, physical attitude also, you see, to some extent, bring together, but mainly from mind, affection, or friendship. So, therefore, I think the beginning of this of human civilization, civilization is uh, what? Right? Uh, uh, since the
2: beginning of, uh, since the beginning of human evolution?
1: I think a uh, sense of community, and helping each other is the key factor for survival. And then gradually, uh, religions, certain sort of religion, you see, means here, you see, uh, when we face some problem, difficulties, uh, in order to keep hope, see, then concept of uh, some superior, uh, force, uh, so uh, when we passing through a desperate situation, the uh, ordinary way, yesterday was a lost lost hope, but if you believe some superior force, then still they still believe that so religious belief eventually you see develop. I think original religious belief. No philosophical background, uh, but I think often it is some dark cave, or then we say, "Oh, there is something." <laughs> if that, please help us. If that, uh, do not displaced, uh, displaced, it uh, will harm.
2: If 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 that force gets dis- displaced, it will harm me.
1: Uh, so then gradually. Uh, <coughs> philosophy develop. Now this is from the uh, Buddhist viewpoint, since Buddhism is no concept of creator. Uh, so, uh, so then you see faith with certain sort of philosophical views, uh, then you see God uh, uh, develop, then it's a the concept of God, creator. And also, the other tradition, the non-theistic religion, mainly three, uh, both, all, all three belongs to Indian, ancient Indian tradition, including Buddhism, Jainism. Uh, they develop the philosophical view, the law of causality. If you do good for other, you get benefit. If you do harm other you get negative consequences. So that's the law of causality. No concern of creator. So all the, the, the real sort of their purpose, aim, is to, to further strengthening human love, human affection, human compassion. So all religion, when they describe their God, infinite love. I no tradition say our oh, creator God full of anger. Nobody said that.
3: <laughs> so therefore,
1: the uh, love, affection. I mean, in order to help other, in order to serve other, the real mover is love sense of concern and wish, uh, well-being, without that, they, uh, I think what to say, as a duty compulsory without sort of voluntary feeling, and then sometimes I don't know. Chambuja, so, um, so it's a job So it also depends upon
2: your attitude. For example, even if you are engaging in a health,
1: beneficial service, if you... No, no, um, I mean, they're supposed to see some help, but out of sort of sense of concern, then the way uh, helping more, more gentle Gentleman. way. Gentle way. As a duty uh, in the chiri, Then it becomes more of a burden.
2: So imagine if there is a puppy that needs to be saved. Two ways you can do this. One is to just, you know, grab it. And then, of course, you are saving it. The other one is to do it more gently. You know, be nice to the puppy. So, although puppy. the act of uh, puppy, saving see, is the same, although you
1: see, they supposed to protect uh, from danger, but very rough. And then, because a puppy shouting, oh, like that. <laughs> <laughs> that there is no way to explain. Now, I'm, I'm helping you. There is no way to explain that way. So, even animal, no language, but the way they protect with sincere feeling, then there is real service. No sincere feeling, just done, done something, it's a duty, not much. Oh. Oh, so, that's we cannot call service. So, genuine service out of sense of concern of their well-being. then in modern time although I think individual independence see, because of the education and some other sort of uh, factors is become uh, still among the humanity rich and poor there yeah. uh, and also some successful some uh, difficult so those people are comparatively more unfortunate, are not successful. Then it is human because of the I think, even animal. Uh, when they hurt, you see, moving, the stronger one, usually go ahead. At the same time, they look those weaker ones. If a weaker one, they are.
2: So they watch out. The stronger ones move in the front but con- con- constantly keep looking back to watch out the weaker ones.
1: So even animal, the wounded animal, uh, the other at least leaking. So you see, they also you see, have the, because of the sense of concern of this weaker one because social animal. Then we, social animal, then those weaker one, a little bit unfortunate, is in need, of uh, service, or uh, help. Uh, Special attention. Or help. You see, you consider something higher position, and look down, and helping. That's not the real sort of service. Service means respect them. And with respect, you see, serving them. That's a real service. So, all these things are very much connected with mental attitude. as I feel. And then, the other one the so Dean mentioned um, the
2: bodhisattva vow and the ethics that go with the bodhisattva vow and in that Bodhisattva ethics, one speaks of three levels of ethics, ethics of restraint from harming and ethics of uh, gathering virtuous states of mind, and then finally the altruistic ethics of helping others in the service of others. And um, in the, in some of these texts, there are very detailed, specific lists of the kind of things those who are practitioners of Bodhisattva must engage in. For example, if someone... Um, you know, one should have a special uh, attention and concern for the needy. For example, if you're walking on the road and you see someone carrying a very heavy heavy load, you should offer to lighten that load by carrying yourself part of it. You, when you see a sick, you should be able to offer your help. And So all of these very specific, and for example, if someone seems to be confused, lost, somewhere and then you should point out and help guide that individual. So those are very specific, actual actions that are listed.
1: There uh, 11. There <laughs> some I can't remember. <laughs> so without remember, no question implementation. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like that. Now I think start question. Well, discussion.
4: Start questions? Okay. I, I'm going to start off our conversation this afternoon. And I want to start by thanking Your Holiness for your remarks. I'm very moved to join this conversation in response to your thinking. And I'm very honored to be on this panel with my esteemed Princeton colleagues. I have to say, I'm delighted to be here at a moment when we're thinking about love when we're thinking about developing our hearts as well as our intellect. It seems to me often those of us who are here at Princeton every day concentrate quite a lot on the intellect, and it's very important that we also think about what it means to develop our hearts. I think we have a call to action in a way to think about what we do with these teachings, and I'm struck in hearing Your Holiness speak and in reading your work by your emphasis on caring for others, as you were saying, and especially for those who are suffering. I think our conversation today is about the ways in which your teaching resonates with Princeton's motto in, this, in the nation's service and in the service of all nations. And this is certainly a notion that I think all of us embrace wholeheartedly but often, it seems to me, we let the rhetoric of the motto carry us instead of devising practical and specific strategies for implementing our service. Really, the question becomes, what do we do? For example, how do we serve those who are suffering with a keen awareness of how they're different from us as well as how they're the same? How do we serve without superiority or power over others? You talked about the necessity for respect. But on a global level, I think a lot as a Western feminist about how often when we think about global crises in which we truly want to help and be supportive, White women have been accused of approaching women in other countries, for instance, from Africa to the Middle East, with a posture of imperialism, in which, with the best of intentions, we wind up imposing our own values on other cultures, in which Western ideas don't necessarily translate. Cultures are different even in the current Ebola crisis, Different burial rites make it difficult for Western healthcare workers to persuade some West Africans, for instance, that the dead should be buried quickly to prevent the spread of disease. So how then do we serve with compassion and care and sensitivity to these cultural and national differences, even though, as your holiness preaches, these differences ultimately are secondary to the paramount oneness of humanity. How can we truly help without doing harm? How can we cultivate joy among one another, along with compassion and respect and care? Oh, OK.
1: <laughs> so I think, firstly, compassion or love. I love my culture. I love to love I think these, uh, I think, common with other mammals. They don't care about the this Kushu chess or Chick, 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 so when
2: we talk about compassion, um, human compassion, in a sense we are talking about an, uh, a quality that we can also see a, an elementary form of this among animals as well. So for example, when dogs interact with each other, um, the dog uh, will experience kind of an affinity and the dog, one dog is not going to determine or, or evaluate whether or not the other dog has more impressive color or, you know, those kind of considerations is not going to come into the picture. It's the question is whether or not the dog can interact with the other dog as just another dog. So in the same way, when we talk about human connection and love and compassion, the focus of that is really the person, not really the culture or whatever that background that the person may represent, but the, the immediate object of those kind of basic emotions is really the individual, the person.
1: As I mentioned there, also, the uh, the fundamental level, we are same human being. The secondary level, yes, differences. So our love, affection, really on the level of humanity or human level I think uh, destructive emotion much sense of competition or jealousy these I think secondary level basic human level patched others have stayed rather than which we still have no passage of the human something there's a very human something the secondary level can't difference so one could
2: argue that um, the primary emotion that we experience at the basic human level is really that of love, connection, and compassion. Then when we move on to the secondary level of differences, and that's where the much more complex emotions like you know, jealousy, competitiveness, and those kind of things arise.
1: Mm-hmm so uh, just
2: do a thought experiment you know if you know we imagine try to imagine that with a, with a sort of try to develop this understanding recognition that all human beings just like me wishes to be happy it's okay so that that we can that makes sense now try to imagine you know, try to sort of develop h- hatred or anger towards the all human human beings. That's almost impossible. Can you? This is asking question. Can you develop hatred towards the wh- entire humanity?
1: Yeah. Huh? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, anger, hatred, because you particularly
2: Because for emotions like anger and hatred to arise, we need some kind of particularity of the object, some kind of solid solidity of the object.
1: Compassion. We are same. So I want happiness, don't suffering. So because of that, the same fellow human being, someone passing through difficult, then develop a sense of concern. I think further goes, I think basic human nature, as I mentioned this morning also, the basic nature is more compassionate because our lives start that way. I, our biological factor also, you see, more compassionate feeling uh, go very well with this body. Constant anger, very harmful for our body. So I think because of that, the million the enabled survival So one could
2: say that from even from an evolutionary point of view, um, the sense of connection, the ability to connect with others, the ability to feel empathy for others, that seems to be a very primary level of human reality, human experience. And then, say, strong emotions like anger or hatred, they are, of course, part of our nature, but they are more specifically oriented towards a given situation, where part of your survival strategy, you do need these kind of emotions, but that doesn't seem to be as primary as the fundamental kind of empathetic mm. experience.
1: This side can not said to you. So, mm.
2: His was saying that when he asked the question, can you, does it make sense to think of being hateful or having hatred towards the entire humanity, the, the students on this, this side, this he asked that question and they all nodded, saying, no, it doesn't make sense. No so, I what won't. about you?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> then,
1: Kasada, agreement, unanimously. <laughs> so, then, let us to follow our life more compassionate way. Mm. That goes very well based on nature. If basic human nature is angry, anger, then we have to follow that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Your
6: Holiness, in listening to you speak about the importance of compassion and kindness today, it is clear to me as a sociologist that your ideas have immense implications for the social sciences. We live in an era in which inequality has become the defining issue of our time. And, and it's an era of cultural and social dehumanization of marginalized groups. This unequal era coincides with all of the great scientific possibilities embodied by the age of big data. Mm-hmm also its potential arrogance, more so than before, many who have never been to a slum, nor who have any personal relationship with a single poor person feel that they can speak with authority about inequality, poverty, ghettos, after having mastered a couple of high-level classes <laughs> in statistics and perhaps the experimental method as well. These days, it is not uncommon for a seminar about the poor to focus exclusively on technical questions of selection bias or statistical technique. In the age of big data, compassion and empathy not to speak of history, theory, are less frequently the basis of our insights not to speak, not to speak of involvement or service. They are less and less seen as capacities that are pivotal to cultivating a systematic and rigorous mind. Yet one could go to the opposite extreme, and sometimes we do. It is also not uncommon for findings about the poor that derive from empathy to focus on a small number of poor people or to ignore all that we have learned over the past quarter century about selection bias. Princeton is a university in which it is well recognized that statistical work can inform empathy, where involvement is not something to look down upon, but conceivably the heart of effective intellectual work. Across the social sciences in the man- work of many engaged scholars, we have models for the combination of rigor, empathy, and practice. In my own experience, teaching a peer's global seminar called the Global Ghetto that traveled to Rome I have found that collaborations with the Office of Religious Life, with Dean Allison Bowden and Associate Dean Matt Weiner, have created opportunities for students to engage in service activities that relate to the material that we are covering in class. We have learned that if you are going to study poverty and exclusion in the 16th century Roman ghetto, our academic experience can be enriched immeasurably by some volunteer work with the Gypsy population. Other opportunities on this campus through the Community Based Learning Initiative reflect Princeton's commitment to merge learning with service and involvement. What do you see as the relationship between involvement, empathy, and the development of intellectual capacity? <laughs>
2: Juta seribu ini, University of naruh to I so empathy, the Dung The could intellectual key knowledge the Hmm. Hmm. i think basically i think every human action uh, is entirely dependent on motivation
1: so firstly we should look motivation level, mental level. Then that compassionate mind, when we translate into action, then uh, we must know the reality. So here, uh, human wisdom or human intelligence, a very important role. Motivation, sincere motivation alone, uh something like kasurpena disurpena ah lawa bebe mi seup so seup so da mi seup so which da uh da yang laboshulsh moye ne yang geu geulung so you really need a combination
2: of uh a sincere motivation a compassionate motivation on the one hand and also some insight into the understanding of the dynamics that produce the situation on the other. So the combination of them is like if you have very good intention and motivation, but you do not have the insights that goes with it, then it's like someone who has a clear vision but has no hands to bring, put anything into practice. But on the other hand, if someone is lacking the concern, the compassionate concern, then it's like having a very effective hand without the clear sight.
1: So here, yeah. and then also you see human sort of, uh, in, in, in human level, these difficulties are very, very complex. They're very, always complex, mm.
2: complex factors involved, yeah. And
1: then also you see we, uh, as a human being, you see we must tackle the root causes of this uh, inequality. Uh, rich and poor. So unless you see, we study the reality, the cause, the conditions and, and circumstances, so our action, no matter how sincere motivation, our action become unrealistic. So any unrealistic sort of effort uh, fail to bring uh, the result. So therefore, now I think various methods. And it's sincere motivation, compassionate motivation, when you translate into action, then you have to study the situation, then accordingly, implement. <coughs> Thank you.:
3: Your Holiness, um, it's an honor. Uh, to have the opportunity to dialogue with you. So um, I have something written down, but I have a question. There's a contradiction at the heart of what frames this conversation. Woodrow Wilson's gift to Princeton, the motto, comes alongside the fact that Woodrow Wilson segregated the White House. was one of the most racist presidents we've ever had. So the invocation of love and compassion in the face of hatred. All out of salt on the people you love. How do you muster the courage to love in the face of
2: hate? Huh?
1: the mm-hmm. um,
2: the so when we talk about love and compassion, um, we also should not forget that sometimes it can take the form of a very biased perspective. So this is based on the kind of in-group and out-group. So the example that you gave of the contradiction in President Wilson is really about you know, having this in-group, out-group perspective which excludes a group of people from that. And that's not a genuine you know, uh, compassion. Mm.
1: So what is needed is really
2: a deep recognition that at the level of basic human, humanness, you know, everyone is exactly the same. Nobody wishes to suffer pain. Everybody wishes to be happy. And if you are able to arrive at that level, then there is no basis for that kind of discrimination.
1: And also, I, although I think you also mentioned, you see, uh, the sense of concern or compassion or love, two levels, one biological factor uh, that even animals have. Hmm. But that uh, sense of concern is very much oriented about others' attitude. So, that kind of concern or love or only your friends, family love. your family. Even family, one member of family has a very negative attitude towards you, uh, you can't develop, It's that kind of sort of affection. So, now, uh, that's anima- uh, common with animals. Now we, as a human being, as I mentioned earlier, are sort of the biological factors of, sort of love or affection. With the help of human intelligence, uh, they analyze pros and cons, love, hatred. Then with the help of human intelligence, then you develop firm conviction or loving kindness is really ultimate source of happiness. Anger, hatred is source of problem. And not only problem for other, for myself also you see the problem for the ruin my health, my sleep, like that. So then, with help of intelligence, then that love, compassion, now uh, unbiased, now not oriented about Attitude. For example, love to oneself, not based on one's own attitude. Uh, see, we, we, we never say, "I love uh, myself because I myself very kind to me." No sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so therefore, just uh, by nature, you see, you want happy. You do not want suffering. So on that level. Uh, I take as a sense of concern myself. So similarly, others, including animal, uh, in, including enemy, also is the one happy to not want suffering. So on that level, develop sense of concern. And that's only human being can do. So that kind of loving kindness, not oriented about other's attitude, hmm. but people themselves, so irrespective. Uh, their sort of attitude towards you. So therefore that kind of, because of, the, uh, of compassion is it can reach your enemy. Biological factor, compassion cannot reach your enemy.
3: Just to follow up. Yes. So this resonates with with me coming out of my study of the Black Freedom Struggle in the United States, and particularly Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And Dr. King uh, offered an alternative definition of greatness. Uh, quoted Matthew uh, 23, The greatest among you is your servant. So service, being great wasn't tied to material possession, wasn't, isn't tied to status or title. Uh, it's tied to um, serving the least of these, the most vulnerable. In some ways, that understanding reflects the view that you've been positing. And it begins or is predicated upon the recognition of this fundamental humanity of us all. I know you've been saying this, Your Holiness, but I have to get clear on it. What's blocking us from seeing the fundamental humanity of each other?
2: 勤勤地, than the issue than the of Metsolomus chicken, the
1: I think firstly, see, uh, we, everybody, even animal, who have the feeling of self, I, I, naturally uh, taking care of oneself the most, so that's selfish. But without selfish, without sort of concern about self, then we uh, uh, will not survive. So that's very important. Now in human sort of level, uh, in order to survive yourself, uh, and survive happily, you need uh, uh, other, other community. Now, particularly today's world, the global economy heavily interdependent. Uh, so therefore, you see, taking sense of concern of uh, people of other continent, make good friends, the less competition. <laughs> Competition also you see positive competition uh, negative sense of competition so sense of because of the positive competition okay both sides so want to further develop further develop not remain behind does good uh, but negative competition uh, in order to uh, American dollar you see becoming more stronger so deliberately try to reduce the euros because of value, <laughs> but that's a negative competition. <laughs> so both is to grow uh, together. Uh, so good relation with Europe, European continent, European Union, eventually good relation with Russian Federation and Arab and also people from China. That's everybody's interest. That's now uh, we human beings have the ability uh, to, to analyze the reality. Then it's a long-term benefit. that through that way we develop, you see, infinite way, no no boundary or no Without boundaries, or oh, universal love can develop.
2: That's how
1: that's the self-centered uh, usually i call foolish selfish selfish there yeah. useful but wise selfish rather than foolish selfish that the position wise why said intelligent intelligent so how
2: to we... <coughs> so how do we determine a foolish way of pursuing self-interest versus a wise way of pursuing self-interest is really determined by whether or not we are able to use our intelligence and to be able to je- evaluate between the long-term and short-term consequences.
1: And then short-sighted and narrow-minded, uh, lack of holistic view. So now modern education really immense help, you see, to, oh, sorry, to open up. Uh, to open up. Your Holiness, uh, uh, so the motto is
2: beautiful. So the modern education has the potential to open our eyes. To to the modern so, so to make the motto real.
1: Oh, very good.
3: Your Holiness, if we could take questions now from our students. And um, when you, when you uh, ask a question, please stand. And please do not ask a follow-up question. Um, Dave Brown and I will uh, rotate between the two of us, so let's see some hands.
7: Hello, my name is Vidushi, thank you so much for coming. I have a question about career choice and service. Um, particularly, I'm curious, as kids our age, we often face the choice between choosing a career that will pay us a lot of money and allow us to use that money to serve a village or a place in a large way or perhaps to choose a career that might be more meaningful to us and might make us happier but give us less payment and thus maybe we would make less of an impact on the world. So I'm cu- curious about how you would um, advise us facing this choice. <laughs>
2: now, of the day. do, the Of course, these things you see uh, depend on case to case.
1: The,
2: if you
1: are uh, 100% sure. You see, you can make more money. But then I think we'll need money. <laughs> Firstly, the huge gap, rich and poor. Mm-hmm. We cannot ignore these poor people in Africa, Asia, even in America also, you see, many poor people. So you see uh, someone you see, have to sort of take a serious sort of concern about this. Without money, <laughs> to just good, good heart and smile, <laughs> not help, <laughs> you see, to reduce this gap. So, we need money. So, sincerely motivated that way and make more money. I think that's, a, I think better. Now, we are very much concerned about this gap, rich and poor. Uh, now, uh, seven billion human being. I think a l- large sort of high percentage are poor people, poverty. But if not very sure making money, uh, then better to. <laughs> Firstly, you the
2: so if you're not very sure that the particular career pursuit that is not going to really lead to that kind of resources accumulation, then initially it might be better to take care of your own needs because or in order to help others effectively, first you need to take care of yourself.
1: First take, uh, take care of yourself, then well settle, then step by step can do more helping others. So you can
2: because if you haven't been able to stand firm on your two feet, it's difficult to help others effectively.
1: <laughs> yes, next question.
5: Uh, your Holiness, um, we've been talking a lot about compassion and emotion and things on a very personal level. So I was wondering if, uh, if you feel that the arts and artistic expression have a role to play in service, and if these can be considered acts of service in and of themselves.
1: Oh, the I think the promotion of human value, the promotion of peace, the uh, promotion of understanding. The huge gap between the poor, right? Promotion, understand? The artistic way. Very powerful sort of media, medium. 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 Oh. So, to some people, through artistic way, we can—I mean, you can carry more sort of clear sort of message. So, as I mentioned earlier, every human activities uh, can be positive, so long motivation, aim is good. Then, okay, very good. Next question. Hi.
5: Um, thank you, Your
6: Holiness, for being here. Um, your presence makes me happy. Um, I just wonder um, I suppose my question is I wonder how you respond to people or how you get through to people who seem to have no interest in service or in governing their lives by compassion? How do you get through to someone who is kind of immersed in a world of antagonism and competition and drive oh, yes. or something like that?
1: Yes. Now this is a real problem. Mm-hmm. That's why, you see, uh, I often, you see, expressing the very existing of modern education system. It's very much oriented about the material value. And so you see not much talk about this inner value. So this inner value, promotion of this inner value, not by force, not by law, but by voluntarily. In order to carry you see, voluntarily or interest or seriousness about these things. Uh, you have to know the pros and cons, self-centered attitude, what benefit. More compassionate attitude, what's wrong, what's wrong. Well, then, uh, for example, this is some doctor advise you and as a result, now you know how to take care of your own body, your health. So then voluntarily, you it taking care. Similarly, mental level, harmful emotion, or constructive emotion, once we know, identify these things, and pros and cons, then voluntarily, you see, you, you yourself make familiar this positive emotion and try to a little bit distance from this destructive emotion. That's the way change our mind. So education, awareness, so the education itself, not much pay attention about these things, then the society, more materialistic sort of or culture, materialistic life, when we are very young, you see, we very we much appreciate our sort of our mother's affection of parents' affection, of friends' affection, and they themselves also, you see, share, more effective so affectionate attitude towards your sort of immediate friends then gradually grown up and then uh, the day-to-day life say so you acting like more aggressive uh, Then, for for temporary sometimes more successful <laughs> that also newspaper for those people who
2: so unfortunately, also in the media, quite often people who tend to have no morals tend to get more coverage <laughs> and seem successful.
1: I think I often use it telling media people, some killing, murder, sexual abuse, scandal, become news, taking care, millions of young children, millions of old people, sick people, is not news. So gradually you see people who always see, look newspaper, newspaper, like that, then gradually develop sort of concept, oh, basic human nature is negative, bad and self-centered, hard work is the only way to get more successful. Clear? So the whole sort of, I think, the uh, society, Culture. Right? Contemporary culture. Oh. But society, all the day. So each
2: part of the society, each one of us really has a responsibility to correct this.
1: So media people also have immense responsibility. So to educate people negative things report should report meantime the positive things also is a must report then people can judge and then some more sort of explanation the positive things are long run immense benefit negative thing temporary some satisfaction to emotion but long run very harmful uh-huh. and then most important is education field when we are very young so very much alive about value of affection then most of you is this age now uh, day-to-day's life affection not much sort of relevant Isn't it? then education mainly you see talking about wealth the material value and a good name. Good face. <laughs> a good dress. <laughs> I think too much advertising. Kasachuti. Mean number of stars, too low. because there's
2: a for example, you see a huge amount of energy spent on advertising uh, clothes and beauty products and so on.
1: Oh. No one telling Kasachuti. I think deeper value. It's the
2: only thing that closes you can see is the drawing the the image of heart around the Christmas time.
1: <laughs> That's not sufficient. <laughs> Don't worry. Yes, next question.
8: My name is Carolyn and I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, where I live about 10 miles from Ferguson. Many students from St. Louis here at Princeton feel as if we cannot make true social change at home because of the privilege we have been granted from attending an elite university such as Princeton. So a question for both your holiness and perhaps Professor Gold, how can Princeton students vested in Ferguson reconcile service, social justice,
2: and privilege. <laughs>
1: I think that question, I think, more relevant. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. <laughs> yes, basically, as I mentioned earlier, say we repeat thousand times equality, equality. But in reality, Of course, uh,
2: we may repeat the, the idea of equality thousand times but on reality often many other considerations take over like economy and other power and so on
1: so these uh, are long run goal through education through awareness and through effort I think which I often telling these I think genuine happy humanity uh, and without the presence of this discrimination, discrimination these things will not take overnight. Mm. We have to make effort, mainly through education and media and other, I think various fields. I think that these are our common responsibility. So same goal, same aim, and then different profession use different profession and aiming that, including the the, uh, the factory who making toys a uh, small gun. Video uh, uh, video game. Killing <laughs> better less. Uh, like that. So it's a various sort of profession or field. It's aiming how to promote peaceful society. Uh, society. So if we start effort with clear goal, goal. perhaps after uh, 20 years, 30, 40 years, new generation who come through that kind of education, eventually in that kind of society, then I think a better world can materialize. This is not, these are not, not easy. The materialistic life also not develop overnight. Uh, more material things and carbon, more technology, and then gradually, you see, this kind of, I think at least maybe a few generations, you see, this now new modern society, modern lifestyle, uh, lifestyle you see, develop. So now change that. One or two individual people cannot do. They say, oh, of mass movement, right? Yeah. That also through education. Our government also cannot do much. Even the United Nations cannot do much. So these ultimately, are individual's responsibility. So in order to carry individual risk, because of the effort, education is a key factor. Next question. Thank you for being here, Your Holiness. Um, my name is Amantia. I am from Albania and I left my country when oh, I
8: left my country when I was 16 on a scholarship to study. Um, since the day I left, I just like... Um, I think every single international student here has, have been asked if I will go back to my country. You talk about the oneness of humanity, but you also are concerned and speak for the Tibetan people, who are your people. So my question is, do we have a specific responsibility to serve the people of our kin? Um, in other words, do I have to go
7: back to my country?
0: <laughs> mm.
1: There's Can you. Pray?
2: Sorry.
1: I think I think the Albania, I think comparatively still a difficult country economically or put it politi- political, political situation. So young uh, <laughs> the young person is who have good opportunity study, and also experience the United States, of so the free world, free world, and really, I think, worthwhile. I think oh, Lithuania, or some, some other country, former communist country, but some leaders, as far well as I remember, is educated in America, return, and serve their own country. So you also, I, I think, a to
2: So you need to really look at the larger picture of society and your role, and, but at the same time you also need to think about more
1: specific
2: needs of what you can do. So
1: your own area, so, so, properly sort of develop, as I, we already discussed, the external because of the conditions. Va- conditions, facilities, facilities the economy, and meantime, internal values, uh, your own country. If you have, I think generally speaking, you may have, you see, uh, a good opportunity use that opportunity, uh, make effort, then that also contribution for, because uh, of the uh, uh, serving humanity also. If Serbian people, because the uh, Albanian people, uh, not belong to humanity, then okay, forget But not that case, humanity. My own case, of course, I'm a Tibetan. Uh, as much I can, sort of, serve Tibetan. Uh, he also is a part of the humanity. And then in our case, we have, I think, uh, as far as sort of knowledge about inner value and psychology, knowledge of psychology. These things, I think, Tibetan uh, tradition actually come from Nalinda. So highly advanced sort of knowledge about psychology, psychology of these things. Uh, so preservation of these things are not only interest for Tibetan people, but also, I think, to some extent, I think humanity. I think worthwhile to preserve like that. I think when you when you take care for, for example when you take care of your teeth so very generally
2: so for example when you have to when you are taking care of your teeth you have to pay attention to individual tooth Oh. So, for example, you cannot say that you're taking care of your teeth while you completely ignore one or two tooths that are falling off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Next question.
7: Hello, His Holiness. Um, thank you for making time for us today. I'm Kathleen Ryan, and I'm from Virginia, uh, but now I live in New York City. Um, and every day I probably see between five and twenty people in extreme suffering. Um, homeless people who have mental problems, health problems, pregnant women, um, many, many things. Um, and I wonder how do I continually live out the compassion that we've been talking about um, with regard to all those people while still Getting from one place to another um, and being compassionate toward the people. I said I would, you know, meet at three fifteen um, or be home by nine um, p.m. How do I, how do I do that every day?
1: As I mentioned earlier, if we
2: have.
1: Holistic view, look wider perspective. Then the plenty of factor which uh, give us enthusiasm or hope. If you just look one aspect, these negative things, only that anger, uh, only suffering, only suffering uh, is unrealistic sort of attitude. There are many good things and good potential. So, now here, again did one. So,
2: of course, as a human being, when you're confronted with, on a day-to-day basis, acute sufferings, that is going to affect you. Distress is going to be part of your response but what is required is also uh, some method that would continue to retain your courage and being uh, sort of a sense of being empowered so that at least you can help. That needs to go together.
1: Okay, next no question?
8: Um, so, Your Holiness, in an earlier response, uh, you stressed the fundamental nature of human compassion to true service. So, I was wondering about how that changes um, when you're applying service to a really large scale. Um, is it possible to keep this human connection when we're dealing not with individuals interacting with individuals, but with companies and large um, NGOs interacting with governments and nations? <laughs>
1: So earlier, qu- earlier
2: we did speak about the fact that it is possible to develop a sense of compassion for a group,
1: for a larger community. Or entire humanity. Uh, and even, I think, further, furthermore, entire centered beings. Uh, billions, billions of galaxies centered being on different galaxies. We can develop <laughs> so
2: um you know there is a line in one of the Buddhist texts uh, which says, "Take your own body as an example and restrain from harming others, you know restrain from inflicting pain on others' body. So this is a principle that we can extend even to all sentient beings, not just human beings, because each sentient being instinctively wishes to avoid suffering and wishes to attain happiness.
1: So th- according to theistic religion, uh, entire creature of God uh, preserves respect and taking care. Hmm. Actually uh, we have no direct contact with God, with creator, <laughs> but we have direct contact with creations. Creatures. creatures of God. So only opportunity is serving creatures uh, that indirectly, best way, serve God. Okay. So the point is that, um,
2: you know, human mind is quite flexible. So if you cultivate the attitude, you can maintain that intention even while. Wo- when you're working at the level of groups, not just
1: individuals.
2: So none of us were born as a professor.
1: So someone
2: becomes a professor after many years of study and research and experience of teaching and so on.
0: So
1: similar to this, mental attitude, through training, through familiarization, we can change. Hmm. Next question?
5: Hello, His Holiness. Uh, thank you for coming here today. It's been fantastic. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm from Newark, New Jersey. Uh, so, Growing up in the inner city, I've seen so much poverty, I've seen so much homelessness, so much crime. Um, and I've tried to do so much in the past in high school to try to help so many people, but I felt so limited in what I could do because there is so much danger in Newark. You can't just go helping people. Uh, you can't go helping with Habitat for Humanity build houses because there's just some neighborhoods that you wouldn't want to walk through. Um, and so my question for you is how do you maintain that, that compassion and that hope for the future, hope to actually continue to sustain that, uh, that service when you just feel so limited and when you feel like there's people who don't want the help that you're trying to give, or you feel like there's people who you can't reach with your help because it's just it's a danger to your own health. How do you maintain that hope when it seems like there's no hope to be given to a certain group of
1: people? <laughs> So this is very true. Of course, they are in, you know, while
2: you are engaged in service, there are going to be a lot of complications and um, in some situations, your limitations will be very obvious. But at the same time, what is important in those situations is also to be cognizant of your own ability to make changes in other areas so that you do not feel overwhelmed and discouraged by an experience of this adverse situation.
3: Yes. My name is
7: Stephanie and I've been raised Roman Catholic my entire life. And um, when we were having our smaller discussion, we were talking about the concept of service itself and what actually constitutes service, because a lot of times for most people in indi- individual who goes to another country to say build houses is considered to be doing service but say your roommate has a bad day and you give them a hug or you just see a stranger and you smile at them like for me that is service but where do you draw the line between service and humanity or just compassion and should there really even be a line <laughs>
2: 陈家, come back at the day, some time they were was. In the name is an hourly as soon as she much simple my sympathies, you will come to the Champuchia down. The day is some time that the service of the chair of my rest
1: is that I service the Champagne, you poorly, a so you're right, um, and
2: probably the traditional uh, attitude to what constitutes service, which is kind of, uh, you know, traditionally you can imagine as someone going to the third world country doing something materially visible that probably is conditioned by society's way of taking material needs as being very primary, but on the other hand, if we understand that suffering takes many forms, including mental suffering as well, and if we have that kind of more expanded notion of what suffering and needs are, then helping someone who is in distress, giving a counsel or comforting kind of, you know, a hug, these will be seen as service as well because they are aim is to elevate the pain and suffering of that individual.
1: suffering um, that did you say, jikan something to
2: Many of us, when we think about suffering, uh, we tend to think really in very physical terms. Both you know, suffering, and, suffering and happiness. We mm. tend to think in very sensory and physical terms. But in fact, if you think carefully, the mental level experience of pain and happiness is more, you know, important.
1: Obviously, we all have experienced <clears throat> mental level, calm, happy. Then physical pain can subdue. The mental level, too much fear, too much worry, then physical comfort will not subdue that. So obviously mental level experience mm. are much more serious than the physical level. So material value <coughs> mainly is to provide comfort in the physical level. So, uh, n- n- nice things to see, including spots. These uh, provide some sort of comfortable eyesight, right? Okay. Then sense. music, yeah, smell, nose. Sometimes my nose is in this side, <sniffs> not very, really, not very really good. So, initially I enjoy it. And you can't enjoy fully <laughs> <in> the, <laughs> the smell. <laughs> That taste, that touch, touch including sex. Uh, so these are mainly, also the uh, sensorial experiences. So we have to sort of pay more attention about underleveled experiences. So so far, among the psychologists or, of the brain specialists. So, um,
2: even if you look at the kind of um, uh, modern Western disciplines that deal with human experience, you know, there doesn't seem to be uh, a clear demar- recognition of the difference between mental level experience versus sensory level experience.
1: Since some time back, I think at least 10, 15 years, I request. I'm requesting the scientist not uh, through level. So his
2: so, holiness has made requests to some of the neuroscientists, the brain specialists, that they should try to do some experiment and observe the difference between a person who, whose mental activity is occurring while the sensory modalities are f- you know, active, versus someone whose sensory modalities are not active, but mental image is there. So you know from, from our own personal experience, we can make that distinction, but there must be a different brain expressions between these two different states..
1: University. University of Alabama. Oh, fikir apa dikehendus anda? Class kurs tanah, sederhana
2: level so there was a, a symposium on brain plasticity and healing at the University of Alabama, and um, the moderator, one of the scientists, made the point that, um, you know, in the traditional view of science, um, the causal relation between brain and mind was one way. It was that changes in the brain occurs, then that affects the mind. But now there is a growing recognition that that, that causal direction can go the other way as well, Changes in the mind and thoughts can affect changes at the level of brain. And this is something that his Holiness was saying that he had heard from other scientists as well. So there is a growing recognition of the mind brain
1: relationship going both ways. So through training of mind, and it affects our brain. And uh,
2: so, uh, you know, people have done research that shows that through conscious training of the mind, brain changes occur, and in fact, you know, birth of new neurons as well, which is explained on the basis of brain plasticity.
3: Hmm.
1: I think these findings, I think, are very very helpful. Eventually, you see, they, we develop certain kind of attitude, it dealing with mind, dealing with sensorial. Experiences
2: because otherwise, if our view of the human mind is confined just to brain processes, then we will only think of brain
1: then ultimate was the refuge is instrument surgery. <laughs> If beside the brain, there is some other element which can affect our brain, then training our mind is something relevant. Uh, relevant. <laughs> I think the education itself, In fact, if you think deeply,
2: the whole ethos behind education, the whole philosophy behind education is not about sensory gratification, it's really about cultivating the mind.
1: When sensory information memory
2: so for example the sensory modalities are definitely a medium through which we receive information about the world but when we think about memory and consolidation of knowledge it's really at the mind level
1: isn't it do you have some objection or argument disagreement no <laughs> <laughs> yes.
9: Uh, hello, His um, Holiness. I'm a little nervous, but um, thank you so much for your presence. Um, my question uh, is about rage, um, and it's in light of Professor Ba's question and what's going on in Ferguson. Um, and I guess my question is for uh, for um this talk and your earlier talk you mostly talked about compassion and love but I wanna ask is can you be enraged or can can you be enraged towards something or someone and also be compassionate at the same time? Like the common saying is, you know, even in the face of oppression, love your oppressor, you know, show love. Um but I wanna ask what do you do when that when that isn't enough? For example, um, in terms of what's going on in Ferguson, I personally believe that if Darren Wilson is not indicted, um, I don't think I can love him. Um, I think that's, I don't, I don't think I could do that. And in your earlier talk, you talked about separating the actor from the action. And in, term, in cases like this, as a black person in the United States, I, don't, I can't separate Darren Wilson, I guess, I don't know what he did, from himself, because he did commit a crime. Um, so I'm just wondering, how do you go about delineating those two things? Thank
1: you. <laughs>
2: me mm-hmm. yes. uh, i think basically uh,
1: according Ancient Indian psychology. It seems, you see, most destructive emotion is spontaneous. Instant. Uh, instant. The positive emotions are the so destructive emotion training has to The positive emotion the training So. <laughs> Positive emotion training Instantly, you So, training positive emotion. So,
2: one distinction that you find from Indian ancient Indian psychology is kind of a, a, a categorical distinctions between those emotions that tend to be destructive versus those that tend to be constructive. And destructive emotions on the whole are understood to be more in, instinctual. They are reactive and they arise in response to a particular situation or a threat and so on. Whereas the constructive emotions tend to be ones that are more cultivated, that are more kind of firm. So, and therefore, if you can emphasize the constructive emotional part, then, as they become more strengthened, then they can also, you know, even though strong negative emotion, you know, arises in response to an unjust situation, they may not fester. They may not last very long.
1: It seems see, to me, like, bodies sort on of the basis of body's health, immune system. If your immune system strong, then some uh, virus enter your body. Uh, if immune system strong, may not disturb much. If immune system weak, then slight sort of virus can disturb more. Similarly, mental sort of uh, attitude, certain sort of positive uh, emotion, uh, through training and become familiar like immune system strong then immediate sort of uh, What's a destructive emotion come uh, may not disturb much and may not remain long. So in order to uh, these sort of, uh, gaining these sort of the uh, knowledge, we need more study about the uh, world of emotion or map of emotion. That's very important. So once we have fuller knowledge about the whole map of the emotion, then you get clear picture about mental levels sort of the sort of like process. Like that. So then, next question. My oh?
8: And this morning in your talk, you said that we should share others' problems as a way of building community that's so essential. And I want to ask you about two obstacles I see in that practice. The first is that, as a college student, I live in a place that's very distracting and in many ways encourages me to be self-absorbed. And so there are many days in which I might walk by the man who's struggling with the box and I don't even look up because I feel like I'm too busy or if I do look up and I think I don't have any time to help him, so I just keep walking. The other obstacle I see is that sometimes when you share others' problems, the weight of those problems become your problem. and so. But my question is, how do, do we overcome these obstacles? Either the obstacle of being too distracted to notice those around you who need help, or the obstacle of um, sharing others' problems, but letting the weight of those problems become unbearable.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: निंजे mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, uh, with
2: respect to your second question, in fact, his was citing
1: uh so uh, in fact, it reminded his Holiness of uh, a
2: question that was raised in an eighth century Indian Buddhist text uh, where the question was raised why should I care for others' pain because it brings me more pain why should I take on more additional pain when I have my own and the response given is that uh, um, the the experience of distress that comes with sharing someone else's pain is real. But the difference between experiencing one's own suffering without any control versus the distress that comes in the process of sharing someone else's suffering is this. In the case of sharing someone else's suffering, there's an element of voluntariness on your part. You chose to share in that experience, which really suggests a kind of a courage on your part. Whereas when you Undergo your own experience, there isn't that voluntary dimension, so it's a qualitatively different experience. Um, so that was a response given, something that you could, uh, you know, find benefit from. And the second, the first question, his was saying that, um, you know, even in the, among the Tibetans, you know, although compassion is promoted culturally. But sometimes people do come up with excuses saying, oh, so how sad, how sad, how sad. They just sort of walk by simply by saying how sad. So, of course, it depends also on the environment and the cultural conditioning because sometimes people just don't pay attention because it doesn't really is part of their value system. So those things
1: make a difference too. This champagne and
2: so in fact, someone who cherishes and values altruistic kind of sentiments, helping others, and if that figures prominently in that person's value system, then even if you don't, even if you ignore someone who is in dire need and walk past. You would feel uncomfortable because it really sort of violates your own value.
1: Dr. What is up. time? Yeah, I think we could this round up
2: yeah. the last.
8: Thank you for coming today, Your Holiness. Um, my question is sort of similar to the first one about what we choose to do after college. Um, many people here have good intentions, um, but may struggle to find their specific path where they can best use their talents and their abilities. Um, and we are faced with many opportunities, um, everything from tr- starting a charity to maybe doing small acts of kindness in other ways. Um, so how would you suggest we best convert these good intentions into actions of service in an unselfish manner?
2: जिस शेन्बेंग डांट चुका ली, जिसके गंदे मोमबत्ती
1: शेष चेहरे, जिस गुलाँग शंभोजी केबिन ने शेन्बेंग गुलाँग केबिन ने, तब ये दिन मिस्टी केबिन आलोटा, मिस्टी केबिन बहुत शुरू भर
2: it really depends upon the depth of your conviction in the value of helping others. So if your you know, conviction in the value of helping others is really deep, then it will, you know, your experience will continue to reinforce it. But if it is something that has been part of a kind of a fad, hmm. then of course, you know, as you experience other adversities, that intention is not going to last very long. So Isolans was saying that on his own part, he, on a daily basis, continued to reinforce his commitment to altruistic sentiment by, you know, particularly using the four lines from Shantideva, the same text, 8th century, where there is a, line, a verse which reads, As long as space remains, as long as sentient beings remain, until then may I too remain and help dispel the miseries of the world.
1: Just so, such sort of thinking that daily basis reminds, reminds. Then the conviction, uh, year by year, increasing. So
2: it's in this way, you have to try to really habituate yourself to oh. the, this way of thinking.
1: Professor Chaya Khoi, the ABCD is learning.
2: So, earlier I gave the example of how someone becomes a professor, but the journey began from first learning the alphabets, and then not forgetting them and building knowledge on top of that, and at some point you gain expertise in your special field and domain. So, for example, if you have seen the, you know, cockpits of those jumbo jets, you know, these people have to first learn the study, how to, you know, fly them, how to pilot the plane, and then they have to practice, rehearse, and then finally it becomes effortless.
1: Some occasion, the cockpit has asked me to, to come. Cockpit, uh, the, sir.
2: The, the, in inside the cockpit, yeah. Uh, look, So many s-
1: switch. The shuruju, jam badhao. Khumba the wrong switch lau sa
2: So unless you are really well trained and habituated, you know, you might end up pulling the wrong s- switch.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think 1956, buddha Jhansi liberation. Uh, I think so. uh, within India, is uh, some fly, the flights, oh. yeah, And Because the shows the they i the to And the I had, And the pilot taking higher Then in 1954 um no, 56. 56,
2: when i visited india uh, and celebration to celebrate the buddha's uh, anniversary of the buddha's death um one of the travels involved a flight and the pilot invited me to sit inside the cockpit and to actually you know hold on to the steering wheel and uh, and and there was you know incidentally there was a little bit of turbulence as well so my attendants you know my delegation they were sitting in the main passenger area so you know when we landed they all said well there was a little turbulence maybe you were playing with the <laughs> steering
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>